is the Adam Crowley Show. Enough! I'm putting these back in my pants. They're mine. This is crazy. The Adam Crowley Show on ESPN Pittsburgh. Got an update yesterday's Twitter poll. At underscore Adam Crowley, should I drink some pounders of Natty Ice with my boy during the West Virginia basketball game? 100% of the people said yes, so I did, and now I'm hungover. You found the Crowley Show where your mom listens, and you should too. 412-922-2874 is the number to call, or you can join the cast of dozens and follow me on Twitter at underscore Adam Crowley. Pitt is a disaster. I really don't need to narrow it down, but I will because it's a three-hour program. Stephen J. Nesbitt just tweeted that in January, Pitt decided to fire Kevin Stallings. Then they started to build a case against him. Pitt does not want to pay the $9.4 million for the buyout. They want to pay about half of that. According to Colin Dunlap now, the University of Pittsburgh is going to make a case against Stallings that because he treated that fan the way he did at Louisville, that is a reason to fire him for cause. What a load of horse bleep. That is just garbage. I would imagine that Kevin Stallings is going to take this to court where if it's anything like a basketball court, he's absolutely going to lose. Real talk, though. If you're a basketball coach and you get hired by Pitt or you're in a conversation to get hired by Pitt, do you have any faith that they're going to follow through with the things that they say they're going to follow through with? I understand that a guy like Danny Hurley or someone of his ilk would take the job likely because it's a raise in prominence and it's a rise in salary. I said that backwards. It's a rise in prominence in a raise in salary. You know what I'm talking about. My God, I need to have a Bloody Mary. That's the reality. You'll take the job because you're going to make more money. It's going to be more prestigious. But maybe you shuffle your feet a little bit. Maybe you think about backing out at the last second. Maybe if, let's say, Rhode Island were to offer Hurley a raise... He just stays there, whereas if he was going to make the same money at Pitt, he'd go to Pitt. I think this is damaging. And as much as I crushed Scott Barnes yesterday, as much as I talked about how awful the Pitt athletic department was in allowing Jamie Dixon to leave, I think that Heather Light now is starting to paint her own legacy in a bad light. 412-922-2874. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. Here's some breaking news for you. This coming from Jeremy Fowler of ESPN. Mike Mitchell going to be released next week. He was due to make $5 million. It was going to be $8.5 million against the salary cap. He ain't going to be around unless he takes a big-time discount. And knowing Mike Mitchell, knowing his ego, I imagine that he likely won't take the discount. But this leaves the Steelers in a precarious situation. They've got Sean Davis on the roster they've got Robert Golden on the roster and they're trying according to Jeremy Fowler to bring J.J. Wilcox back now Cameron Sutton's a guy who's been discussed as a possibility to move from corner to safety something that's been discussed internally and externally by the Pittsburgh Steelers I don't mind that 
but that's a big learning curve, and you're not going to have that guy step in and learn the position and start from day one. So while I think the Steelers would be doing the right thing by saying bye-bye to Mike Mitchell, they're also not giving themselves much of a backup plan. Jeremy Fowler tweeted that J.J. Wilcox has been told by the Steelers that he'll see more playing time in 2018 if he sticks around, and he could potentially be a starter. I'm going to call BS on that one. J.J. Wilcox is more of a fifth linebacker than he is a safety. He's a box guy, and Sean Davis isn't exactly a great center fielder, so that's not going to happen. Maybe he does play more. I wanted to see the Steelers use some more dime last year, but he ain't going to start. Let's just move past that. As for Mike Mitchell, thanks for your time. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Mike Mitchell became a victim of his own circumstance, uh, of some of his own uh, issues uh, when he was a Pittsburgh Steeler. As JJ Will, as pardon me, Mike Mitchell played through a lot of injuries. Mike Mitchell stayed on the field when maybe he shouldn't have stayed on the field. Mike Mitchell played through pain when maybe he should have allowed his body to heal couple of groin injuries his first year. This year, he reportedly played through injury all season long. And while it does show toughness, while I do admire the courage, it's also dumb because it lets the team down. Robert Golden is a better option than Mike Mitchell at 75 or 80%. Penguins play Toronto tomorrow night. They are not going to have Austin Matthews as he's been out for an extended period of time. That's going to make that game one that's easier for the Penguins to win, to be sure. They've hit a little bit of a slide, as have the Philadelphia Flyers. We'll get to them coming up at 440. Josh Yoey of The Athletic coming up in about 15 minutes here on the Crowley Show. Malkin can move out of Crosby's shadow if he continues his recent hot streak. This is something I touched on yesterday, but I wanted to spend more time on it. And we had that white guy, Troy Apke, get in our way. That other dude, Will Graves, took up a lot of our time. So, now I'll get into it. Evgeny Malkin has an opportunity to win his third Art Ross trophy, and in doing so, I think, lock up the Hart trophy. Evgeny Malkin's been overshadowed by Crosby over the course of his career. Crosby's widely been regarded as the best player in the game. And then there's been Alexander Ovechkin. He's the Russian superstar, the villain to Crosby playing the role of the hero. Evgeny Malkin's been shadowed in his homeland. Evgeny Malkin's been shadowed here where he resides now. Evgeny Malkin, in my mind, is a better player than Alexander Ovechkin, has had a better career than Alexander Ovechkin, and finally deserves the credit. It's time for Evgeny Malkin to get his damn due. Dan Gursky, our buddy from Pittsburgh Hockey Now, broke it down on that site. You should check it out. If Malkin were to win his third Art Ross, it would also likely guarantee his second Hart Trophy. That would put him in a rare class. Since the expansion of the league, only five players have ever won the scoring title more than twice. They're all in the Hall of Fame. Malkin trails Kucherov by three points after he tallied one last night. He's now got 46 points in his last 26 games. He's going to catch Kucherov. He's the best player in hockey right now, and he's got no signs of slowing down. That's 1.77 points per game. I checked with the Evgeny Malkin whisperer, Rob Rossi, and he said that Malkin is likely spurned or spurred by being spurned by the national media. He can see the scoring title 
in his sights. I hope he wins it too, man, because over the last few years, he's really been the guy who answers the media and criticizes the Penguins' bad play. Hell, the other day when the Penguins scuffled, Patrick Hornquist came out and offered to take some of the heat off of Evgeny Malkin in the media scrum, and Malkin would not allow it to happen. Malkin stood out there, and he took question after question after question. He can see the scoring title in his sights, and I hope he wins it. He works his tail off in the postseason. He's been damn good since the Penguins have started their turnaround. Since the start of 2018, he's been one of the three stars of the week almost every single week, and he was the first star of the month in January, the second star of the month in February, and no player outscored him in either month. So if Malkin were to win, he'd have a Conn Smythe, three Art Ross trophies, and two Hart trophies. That would tie Sidney Crosby's mark for the heart. Now, Crosby's had his injury issues, which has certainly affected the way that he's performed, but still pretty big deal if you tie the captain. Malkin deserves his respect, and he's got a chance to earn it over the next month. 412-922-2874. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. The Pirate Parrot should be apolitical. He is not. Did you see what happened last night? As Rick Saccone had an event, Frank Coonley and the Pirate Parrot were both there. What the hell's that about? If Frank Coonley wants to support a candidate, that's fine. If Art Rooney II wants to support a candidate, that's fine. If David Morehouse who has, wants to support a candidate. Ron Burkle wants to support a candidate. That's fine. But when you make it about the team, is that really the smartest thing to do? It's just another dumb thing that the Pirates have done in a history of continuously doing the wrong thing. Really? The Pirate Parrot at a political rally? Come on. I think the Pirate Parrot should remain apolitical. I think the Pirates are alienating some of their fan base a fan base that they've already started to alienate. As we touched on in other crap yesterday, Jameson Tyon ain't all that excited about pitching an opening day because he says that eh, 38,000 people aren't going to be in the stands. So if fans already aren't going to show up, why alienate half of them by going all political? Imagine if you saw the Pirate Parrot or Iceberg or Steely McBeam standing up alongside Donald Trump as he gave a political speech. It just doesn't look right. I've always kind of felt odd when political candidates try to use sports as a way to reach the voters. Yo, I don't care if you're going to tell me that you love the Pittsburgh Steelers, Ed Rendell, even though he was an Eagles fan. That's not going to make me vote for you. Your policies are. That's ludicrous. Do you remember when Donald Trump said, what about that Paterno guy? We're going to bring that back? It just is hollow. It's ridiculous. It's like any time that a lead singer in a band walks onto the stage and puts on the jersey of whatever town he's in because he thinks that's going to rile people up. Nine times out of ten it does, but it's a sellout move. It's just stupid. It pisses me off, and I think we're going to see a lot of Pirates fans be irritated. It's also somewhat hilarious. Tiger Woods atop the leaderboard of some irrelevant golf tournament right now. Tom probably knows exactly what it is. Tom, what's the golf tournament called? It's the uh, Valspar Open. The Valspar Open. And it's not Up random. Top. 
It's not random. It's a big deal. So Not that big of a deal. Watch but it's mouth. a big deal because Tiger Woods is atop the leaderboard. And I've seen a lot of people on Twitter root for Tiger. I've seen a lot of people on Twitter say, eh, Tiger's a jackass. Tiger Woods is a bad dude. He's condescending. He's a douchebag. He cheated on his wife with God knows how many women. I have a difficult time rooting for him. But I've never looked at my athletes to have to be perfect. I like watching Tiger Woods play golf, and it doesn't need to be more than just about that. Uh, I understand there are some bad dudes in sports. I understand that there are some bad people in sports, but that doesn't mean that I still don't want to see their athletic achievement. I know that Sean White probably isn't the greatest dude. We all saw the text, but what he did in the Olympics was badass. I know Ben Roethlisberger's accused of some awful things, but that doesn't mean that I didn't cheer when he threw a touchdown to San Antonio Holmes. If you're a bad dude, you're a bad dude. I'm not going to like you as a person, but if you can do amazing things on the court, on the grass, on the golf course, I'm still going to watch because I can't do that kind of stuff. Coming up next, Josh Yowie of The Athletic will break down why the Flyers might be a pretty good matchup for the Penguins in the playoffs and more. We've got the five-minute major coming up at 440. You're listening to The Crowley Show. I failed to mention this in the open, but I got good news today from our intrepid boss man, Brian LaMartina, that we are up 500% since we have taken over for the old host here in the afternoon drive slot. 500%. I thought we were just going to tread some water, but we're kicking ass. And by I thought we could tread some water, I meant after we went up the 300%. I didn't know there were more of you out there to come to me, but you're flocking to me, my snowflakes. And I'll see you all there at the Great Pittsburgh Sports Debate coming up on Wednesday. Penguins play Toronto tomorrow night. They've been scuffling. The Flyers are now scuffling. Uh, the Penguins have righted the ship, it would seem. Uh, Josh Yoey from The Athletic joins me now on the Crowley Show to discuss. Mr. Yoey, how are you today? Well, I'm about as well as a guy can be when he's about to enter Buffalo, but I'm hanging in there. Did they get smoked with snow? Uh, yeah, there's so much snow. Going through Erie, there's so much snow, you can barely see signs for buildings or anything. It's unbelievable. It looks like a different world, in fact. Please be careful, Yoey. We don't need to lose you up there. You know I will. You know I will. Going to lose Josh Yoey in the Great White North. Uh, Josh, I wrote a blog on ESPNPGH.com today talking about how I think that the Flyers are kind of frauds. Uh, They lost 10 games in a row at one point this season. They've really been buoyed by the loser point. If you just go by wins and losses, they're a 500 hockey club. I realize you can't do that, but that's the case whenever I'm cherry-picking some stuff. They're 12th in the league in goals scored, 13th in goals against. Their power play isn't particularly deadly, and their penalty kill is disastrous. I think they're a year ahead of schedule. That's a team that I really don't think I'd mind the Penguins playing in the first round now upon further review. No, of all the teams in the division that the Penguins could play, uh, they would be pretty high on the list of teams that should want to play. They're 3-0 and against the Flyers this season. And, you know, the Flyers just aren't that good on the back end, and their goaltending is pretty suspect. Peter Mrazek's okay. I, I can't imagine him beating the Penguins in four or seven games in the spring. Um, and, and you're right. Uh, listen, I'll give them some credit. They're certainly 
ahead of where I thought they would be this season. They are going to make the playoffs, and I, I certainly did not expect that before the season. But they certainly strike you as a one-and-done team. Uh, there are some flaws in that lineup, and you got the sense really the last couple of times they played, but especially the other night in Philadelphia, uh, when Crosby and Malkin are in the mood, well, when they really want to win a game, I don't think that team can slow them down. That was pretty evident. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Uh, if you say Philly is one of the teams atop the list, uh, how would you rank the remaining teams? As much as I think the Penguins would beat the Devils, that's probably the team I least want to see, just given the way they've given the Penguins trouble. Yeah, that, that, that's absolutely the team that would jump out at you. And listen, uh, people snicker at the Capitals, but let's not act like those series were blowouts the last two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that would still be a series, I assure you, although I would favor the Penguins. Uh, New Jersey is interesting, though. Uh, they can skate with the Penguins. They have a goaltender who is capable of stealing a game here and there, certainly. Uh, they've won a couple of games pretty handily against the Penguins this season, in fact. So that's the team you should be afraid of, and that's why the standings are so interesting right now. Jersey all of a sudden is in a little bit of a slump, and now they have the road trip from hell coming up. They have to go to Nashville, Vegas, the California swing, and then hit Pittsburgh at the end of that, and then they go home and play Tampa the next night. It's a brutal schedule they have coming up. The Blue Jackets are only one point behind them, and the Blue Jackets have an awful lot of Montreals and Rangers and Senators on their schedule. I would not be shocked at all if Columbus bypasses them, and that would mean if the Penguins win the division, and they very well may, could be facing uh, Mr. Cole and the Blue Jackets in the first round. How do you think that matchup would favor the Penguins? I don't think it would be a huge concern. I don't think Columbus is close to the team that it was last season, and uh, for whatever reason, the Penguins just own the goaltenders in this division, uh, in particular Bobrovsky, Lundqvist, and Holtby. Uh, those three guys just have horrendous numbers against these Penguins the last couple of seasons. So I, I think it would be a pretty comfortable matchup, honestly. Of all the teams in the division, uh, Jersey and Washington are the two that would scare you the most, I think. Josh Joey joining me from The Athletic here on the Crowley Show. Uh, Josh, are you going to tell your children about the night where you saw Josh Jorish, 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 for the love of God, I can't even say his name, make his Penguins debut? You know, it's funny, I was standing in the locker room a few hours ago in Cranberry, and I mentioned to a colleague of mine, said, you know, I feel like a really bad beat writer because I don't know anything about this guy at all. <laughs> but, um, listen, maybe it's funny, Mike Sullivan was asked about him. Basically, you know, he was like, hey, tell, tell us something about this guy. And, and the first thing that he mentioned, and the first thing Jim Rutherford said when I asked him why they acquired this guy, he's a really good penalty killer. Uh, that, that's something they think he can really bring to the table. And that's never a bad thing. So, okay, that that's something. But I'll tell you, uh, the losses of Brian Rust and Dominic Simone, and in particular Rust, uh, that, that's no small deal. Uh, Brian Rust is a very important guy on this team. can play the left or right side. He can kill penalties. You can literally put him on any of the four lines and he'll be effective. So uh, this certainly is a loss. Yeah, it is a loss, no question about it. And I like the fact that Connor Sherry wound up on that top line. I think that that's probably the best case scenario for the peng- uh, for the Penguins is to have him up there uh, because I think that's when he plays his best and he's not going to be a hole in the lineup then at that point um, but now the Penguins it looks like they're really only going to be able to roll the three lines and that fourth line Josh is just kind of going to be the line where they store the penalty killers right it, it looks like Riley Shane's going to play the left wing on that third line uh, that's how it appears 
Absolutely. And maybe you saying on that third line on some occasions anyway with Kessel and Berserk, especially when they have a lead in the third period. Shan's such a good defensive player. Uh, you can tell that Sullivan is very comfortable having him there, which is fine. But, yeah, with these injuries in particular, the Penguins are absolutely a three-line team. And now more than ever, it really favors them when referees actually call a tight game. And, of course, they're not doing that with the exception of the game in Philly the other night. Uh, they want games to be special teams fest. They have the best power play in the league. They have a very good penalty-killing unit. I think it's top ten now. And if you have a lot of special teams, yeah, it kind of covers up the fact that you can't really roll four lines the way some teams can so the more penalties, the better for the Penguins right now, I would say. Josh Joey of The Athletic joining me here on the Crowley Show. Are we getting closer to seeing Matt Murray back in the lineup? It's tough to say. I mean, you know, he's skating every day, so that's obviously an encouraging sign. Um, you know, he could be back within a week. It certainly wouldn't surprise me. But with concussions, you never know. It's not the first concussion you've had. I, I don't know. You never know how many concussions a guy has had, really. But we know that he was that diagnosed with one uh in Philly in the last game of the regular season a couple of years ago, you'll recall he came back for game three against the Rangers about 10 days later. So he missed 10 days with that one. He's right around there now. Um, he's skating every day. So that obviously is encouraging, but uh, you never like to guess when a guy's coming back from that injury. No, and that's fair. Uh, Josh Joey, the athletic, joining me here on the Crowley Show. Evgeny Malkin is insane right now. You can't tell me he's not the best player in hockey. You also can't convince me he's not going to catch Kucherov for the Art Ross Trophy. He's been that good. Uh, do you think he's motivated, Josh, by the fact that the national media didn't give him love? Uh, do you think that he's kind of got something stuck in his craw? Yeah, I think that's probably a, a fair thing to assume. Um, you never know what you know. He doesn't really let you inside. You, you know, he's never going to come out publicly, certainly, and say something like that. Even privately, he doesn't say things like that. But, yeah, I think it does aggravate him. Uh, I think we can agree he is the most underappreciated superstar of his time. It's not in Pittsburgh, not in that locker room, but around hockey. Yeah, I think he really is. I think he's a lot closer to one of the top 20 players of all time than he is one of the top 100 players of all time, which, of course, he wasn't even voted in. Um, I, I don't know that we've ever seen him at this kind of form. He's got 46 points in his last 26 games. That's Mario stuff. That's Gretzky stuff. You don't see that in this era. Um, this is maybe the greatest hockey he's ever played. And the fact that he's not getting more MVP buzz is pretty disturbing to me because, uh, to me, it's a three-horse race between Malkin and Kucherov and Taylor Hall. And I'm not so sure Malkin's not the leader right now. In fact, I don't know how he couldn't be with what he's done during the last two months. Couldn't agree more, uh, Josh. Not just this year, but overall. You look at Evgeny Malkin as a better player than Alexander Ovechkin? Yeah, I, I mean, certainly a more well-rounded player. And I'll tell you, when you look at Malkin and Crosby and Ovechkin, I always say this about the three of them. When Malkin is at his absolute best, he's better than the other two because he can just physically do things because of a size that Crosby can't do. And he's just so much more well-rounded than Ovechkin. Um, now, I would say Crosby is at the height of his power on top of his game more frequently than Malkin. But when Malkin is on one of these binges like he's on right now, uh, there's nobody better, and that includes Ovechkin. How's he changed as a presence in the locker room, Josh? Uh, I recall early in his career, and look, a lot of this has to do with language, I'm sure, him not being the guy to stand up and talk. Now it seems like he's the guy who is willing to be critical to his teammates 
and to the club's play overall in the media, and he's always able to back it up. No, there's no question about that. In fact, I'll tell you a quick story from Boston last week that Craigland's had that future game in Boston, and when the media walked in, the locker room was empty except for Sid, and uh, Jen Bellano, the head of media relations, as she will on occasion do when the team has a game like that, she'll go find the, uh, the guys with the letters on their sweaters and you know bring them out to talk to the media. And so Malkin and Latang came out, and Patrick Hornquist himself, a great leader, actually walked into the locker room and looked at Malkin and said, hey, Gino, you don't have to talk, I'll do it. And Malkin just put his hand up and basically said, go away, I'll take care of it. So, you know, he probably wouldn't have done that five years ago. But he, he is very comfortable in that role now. Um, when that team needs to be called out, really, he's the one that does it more than anyone else. And he always backs up his words, too. That's one thing about him. So I, he has very much become a leader on that team. Uh, there's no doubt. Josh Joey from The Athletic joining me on The Crowley Show. Uh, I thought the Penguins... Locked down tremendously in the third period, and maybe that's a poor phrase. They did what they did against the Washington Capitals in the third period of Game 7, what we saw them do at the end of that San Jose series. And I realize it was just a regular season game, but the Penguins know when to keep pushing. They also know how to defend a lead. I thought at the end of that Flyers game, that's about as well as you can get that done. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Uh, And it's funny, it's something that they weren't doing very well earlier in the season. I felt like when they did have a lead in the third period, they were far too cavalier at times. But we did not see that against the Flyers. Frankly, they just had the puck the whole time. And that's what they did to the Capitals last year. And it's just funny with them. It just seems like when we get to this time of year, they just start doing everything properly. Um, they could drive you nuts in the first three or four months of the season. And I'm sure they were driving Mike Sullivan nuts. But, uh, yeah, you could just kind of see that playoff form start to flash. And it's funny. You know, they beat the Flames the other night. They did not play well at all against Calgary. And Philadelphia really took it to them in the second period. They were up 2-1. They could have gone up by more. And all of a sudden, the Penguins erupt for those three goals. And you're right, that was kind of a clinic in the third period, what they did to the Flyers. And that just shows you when they are focused, um, when they are playing the right way, as Mike Sullivan calls it, uh, they're as tough as ever to beat. And as we keep saying over and over again, Somebody's going to have to beat them four out of seven this spring, and if they play like that, it's not going to be easy. Your thoughts on the early returns for Derek Broussard? It's been okay. Um, he hasn't. Been, I thought he was really good against the Islanders. Boy, did uh, Nolan Patrick sure make him his bitch. <laughs> well, right, but um, <laughs> yeah, he's just been okay. But um, I, I think we need to give him some more time to get comfortable. Sure. I don't think I don't think Phil Kessel's the easiest guy to play with. And that's not a knock on Phil, but he, you know, he's a star. Stars aren't easy to play with. It takes some time to get comfortable. And, you know, playing in that system in Ottawa where you're trapping all the time and it's getting backwards, uh, the Penguins are polar opposites uh, system-wise. So that's going to take some time. We, we've seen some flashes from him. But uh, he needs to be a little more assertive. I see him forcing the puck to Phil Kessel an awful lot. You can't do that with great players. You never force them to puck. They'll, they'll find it. Uh, they'll figure out what to do with it. Uh, he just needs to uh, you know, take the shot when it's there, be a little more assertive. But I think he'll be fine. He, he's a quality player. What do you think about the Penguins' defense core? I thought they played a lot better uh, at times against Philadelphia, uh, although I do think Philly definitely didn't capitalize on some scoring chances. And what do you think about uh, Mata and Ruedel? Um, Really, all of them were good the other night. Uh, Mata's been solid all year. I like him with Ruedel. Um, that's a very comfortable pairing. They've played together before. Uh, Ruedel has clearly been an upgrade over Hunwick. Uh, there was really only one way to go after the way he had played. Oof. But uh, he's been better, no question. 
and I really like Alexiak with Schultz, by the way. This guy, Jamie Alexiak, uh, what a player he has turned into. I was not expecting this when the trade was made in Dallas, or with Dallas, rather, in December. But uh, apparently, Sergey Gonchar and Jacques Martin have worked their magic again, just like they did with Justin Schultz. This guy looks like an impact player to me. Um, he's made very few mistakes. He's been a real presence in the offensive zone. So the blue line, to me, looks very much set and in place. Now, my only issue is just the lack of depth. Um, if Hunless your number seven, that's okay. But there's really nothing after him. So uh, keeping that blue line healthy is absolutely going to be a storyline this spring. I might have asked this of you last week, Josh, but I'll ask you again. Uh, we can just ask you every week moving forward from here on out. Is Chris Letang back? Boy, he's close. I, I, I think he's, I don't want to say he's 100% back, but I think he's about 90% back. He's been really good the last few games. And I'll tell you, I go back to that game in Boston. They gave up eight goals. He wasn't on the ice for one of them. So that that's a pretty encouraging sign. And you can see that the coaches are happy with him now. He's back up to playing 26, 27 minutes a night. Uh, they had him down at 22, 23 minutes for a while. We're not used to seeing him at that low of a number, but he wasn't playing well. You know, they couldn't have him out there in all situations. But uh, his skating to me in the last month has gone back to a tag level, and the, the mental errors are dissipating now. So I am very impressed with what we've seen from him. He needs to be great in the playoffs. They're not winning the Stanley Cup again without that guy. There's no question. And, uh, boy, in the last month, he's been good. I'll tell you what it was. I, I really think making the All-Star game and just being there, mm. I think it was good for his ego. Because all he's heard all season is how poorly he's playing and how he's not the same player. I think just being around those guys maybe made him feel good about himself. From that point on, he, he's basically looked like Crystal Tank. Josh, what do you think about Tristan Jari and the way that he's rebounded from some interesting moments of late? I think it shows that he's pretty mentally tough. Yeah, you know what, I agree with you. That goal against the Islanders was really embarrassing for him. Even Mike Sullivan said afterwards, I don't really know what Tristan was doing. I have a terrible Boston accent, so I don't try to use my Sully voice. That was the funniest goal I've ever seen, Josh. Oh, we've never seen a goal like it. Um, And you know what, though? He had not played well leading up to that game. He even pulled two of his previous six games. So he wasn't exactly feeling it coming into that game. Then you give up a goal like that. But from that point on, he's been very good. I really liked his game in Philly. You know for a young kid playing your first ever game in kind of a hostile environment in Philly, that's surely not pleasant. Uh, he handled it so well. And you, he does have kind of a calm demeanor about him. He's got a really good demeanor, I think, to be an NHL goaltender. And I think he's really taken firm grasp of that number two spot behind Murray. Uh, these last three games have proven that. And, uh, yeah, really nice rebound from him. I like what I've seen. Since you're heading on up to Toronto, Josh, we'll get you one off the beaten path here. Uh, what are your five favorite places to go to cover a game? Uh, number one for me is Montreal, and I'll be there next week, in fact. Um, just a fabulous city. Um, my favorite building. Uh, everything about Montreal. Uh, you know, They're not ugly in Montreal, I will say. <laughs> so, you know, there's, a, there's a lot going on in Montreal for people to like. Um, no, nah, it's just a great place. And uh, Vegas is obviously moving up on that list rapidly. Um, those are probably my two favorites right now. Uh, Nashville, wonderful place. Uh, just a wonder, wonderful city on a Saturday night. You can't beat it. And uh, Denver's one of my favorite cities. I always enjoy the Avs games. And uh, Toronto's up there, too. It's, you know, the Hockey Hall of Fame right down the street. You can't beat that. Josh, really good stuff, man. Uh, have fun up there in Toronto, and I uh, appreciate the time, buddy. All right, buddy. You got it.
There he goes, Josh Yowie of The Athletic. Really good at what he does. And I guess he likes the ladies up there in Montreal. Can't say I disagree with him. Coming up next, my five-minute major as it relates to the Pittsburgh Penguins. And my God. Executives at the NFL Combine don't know how to talk to players. We got audio. It's the Crowley Show. Yesterday's Crowley Show is going in the Crowley Show Hall of Fame. First ballot, maybe the best show that I've ever done with a lot of help from both Tom and Brian. We have had a couple of calls for the Smokey Reports today, but we do not have Brian as he's not feeling well. Hopefully he's not dying again. So we're not going to be able to do the Smokey Reports today. But what I want you to do from here on out is give us a ring at 412-922-2874. Wherever you see a cop, so that we, the snowflakes, don't get pulled over for speeding. We will make the country safer. And also, we're going to make sure that I don't get pulled over. That's 412-922-2874. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. Ratings up 500%. If only my salary would go up as the ratings went up. I did write a blog today. Fifth day in a row that I've written a blog. I'm supposed to do one every day. I hadn't been. Uh, the longest streak I've had was three in a row, so I'm basically Cal Ripken Jr. now. It's time for the five-minute major. It's time to get fucked up with some of the best damn hockey talk on the planet. You go, go to, to the, the box, box, you know, uh, you feel shame, you know, and then you get free. This is the five-minute major with Adam Crowley. The Penguins are two-time defending Stanley Cup champs, and they shouldn't be afraid of any possible first-round matchup, but I'm convinced that playing the Flyers would present the easiest road. Despite what the standings stay, Philadelphia simply isn't in Pittsburgh's class. The Flyers have been buoyed by the loser point. They've fallen in OT or the shootout 11 times on the season. They've won exactly as many games as they've lost. The Flyers, once the hottest team in the sport, have cooled down of late. They're now mired in a five-game winless streak. Side note, if a team has lost... 10 games in a row, but has gone to overtime and lost in five of those games. It's not called a losing streak. It's called a winless streak. The more you know. What exactly does Philadelphia do well? They're 13th in goals per game. They're 14th in goals against. They're 17th in power play percentage and 29th on the penalty kill. Those aren't the statistics of a good hockey team. In fact, those are the statistics of a mediocre hockey team. Those are the statistics of a hockey team that's playing over its head. The Penguins have also won each of the three matchups they've played with the Flyers, having scored five goals in each contest. They've outscored Philly on the season 15-7. to The Devils, they're a year early, but they've given the Penguins some trouble. I wouldn't want to see them with Philadelphia, a possible option early on. Pittsburgh owns the Capitals, but Washington still has a lot of talent. Columbus is hard to play against, despite the fact that I think they stink just like Philly. Despite recent struggles, Philadelphia might not make the playoffs, but with any luck, they will, and they'll match up with the Penguins in the first round. That was the five-minute major. Did you hear what Darius Geis of LSU was asked at the NFL Combine by an unnamed executive? Here's him on a radio show earlier on in the week talking about some weird times at the NFL Combine. 
Man, it was it was pretty crazy, bro. You know, some some people some people are really trying to get in your head, man, and really to just test your reaction and see what your reaction would be. You know, um, I go in one room, a team asked me, you know, do I like men? Just to see my reaction. I go in another <laughs> room, they'll try to bring up one of my family members or somebody and tell me, you know, um, hey, man, I heard I heard your mom, you know, you know, sells herself. How do you feel about that? You know, uh, just, just random stuff like that, man, just to see how you'll respond to it and see how you react to it. You know, even though I know those things are not true and, and, you know, they know those things aren't true, they'll still, like, hit you with it just to see how you react to it, to be an act that. Randy Slack going to be joining us, I should have mentioned this before, in 10 minutes to update us on his new pristine life in wherever the hell he moved to. I forget. I'm a terrible friend. I don't listen to anything, so do not miss that. So that's Darius Geis of LSU. He was asked at the Combine if he's gay. He was asked at the Combine if his mom's a whore. A team gets 15 minutes with a kid, and you get a medical evaluation of a kid, and they use some of their time asking that? Yo, it's 2018. If it was used to try to rattle the kid those questions then that's inappropriate at the very least if the question about him being gay was asked to find out whether or not he is homosexual then it's grounds for discipline from the national football league des bryant was asked if his mom was a prostitute by jeff ireland of the dolphins that dude got in trouble he's no longer the Dolphins' general manager eli apple was asked if he is gay we need to know better than this and i hope that we find out who asked the question I'm not typically one who leads the charge with torches and pitchforks, and I don't believe in fake outrage, but this does piss me off, and I want this person to be outed because it's unacceptable and should not be asked again. This should set the tone. It can't fly. It's not acceptable. And it also underscores just how terrible they are at this entire process. If it's third down and two, and you're looking at the film, and you're evaluating a left tackle, and it's in Auburn, and the crowd's going wild. It's Jordan Hare. It's pouring down rain. There's women in the front row with white T-shirts on, so he's distracted that way. He's got all kind of stuff going on in his mind. That's a scenario where you can say, okay, he either folded under pressure or he did not fold under pressure. Okay. If a quarterback drops back, and it's third and 17, and... He does not cave under the pressure in Death Valley. Then you know that the kid's not going to fold under pressure. The tape will tell you everything you need to know. The IQ test will tell you everything you need to know about intelligence. And doing your homework and due diligence will tell you whether or not these people are, in fact, good people. I get the National Football League executives think that these kids are coached so well that they're not going to give any information and they're not going to say anything. But that does not give them the grounds to ask questions like this. That does not give them the opportunity to ask questions that could be looked at as discriminatory. It does not give them permission to ask Darius Geis if his mom's a hooker. Okay. It does not give them permission to ask whether or not Darius Geis is gay. So now if they pass him up, and let's say whatever team it was, the next team happens to pick him, if he was gay, who's to say it wasn't because of that? Hello, lawsuit. I'm sure the NFL wouldn't like that. 
But it's beyond that for me. It's just incredibly unprofessional. It's unkind. And it's something that we need to know better than in 2018. You've got to be smarter. And I guess I shouldn't be surprised that this kind of Neanderthal line of questioning comes from within an NFL locker room. I shouldn't be surprised at all. I mean, we all know about what happened with Richie Incognito and Jonathan Martin a couple of years ago. We all know how things have gone with other players in the league and Michael Sam and how that didn't all work out. And I just shouldn't expect more from these kind of people, I suppose. But maybe, just maybe, with this coming out, maybe, just maybe, if there's disciplinary action, maybe, just maybe, something will change. Four one two nine two 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 eight seven four. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. I guess I'll ask this of the listening audience. You are my snowflakes. Do you think that it's acceptable to ask those kind of questions? Because as far as I'm concerned, that's completely across the line. And even if you don't want to be outraged about the actual questions themselves, does it make you a little uneasy that these people don't know what the hell they're doing? Uh, they want to play psychologist. What, do they pull in a big leather couch and have the player lay down? like he's being painted in the movie The Titanic. It's ridiculous to me that they don't know how to evaluate players. They don't know how to get into the psyche of the players so much so that they need to ask questions like this. It's Bush League. It's whack. It's lame. And it's offensive. And I hope whoever did it gets outed. Pun absolutely intended. 412-922-2874. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. Up next... We used to slack off on Fridays all the time. I miss this guy. Randy Slack, no longer with the company, will join to tell us about what's going on in his life, and he's got hot takes on all that. It's the Crowley Show. Okay.